I love long form feature stories. I'd rather get to have a holistic point of view about a certain topic or a certain artist or profile, whatever it is, and really dive deep into who they are and what and what exactly that is and what's driving mm -hmm. all these things. So I try to do that for um, other Arab artists uh, because, you know, I get, I can't lie to you. Like when, when Bad Bunny and all these dudes, like get these big profiles, like I love those profiles. I love reading about them, but then I'm like, dang, how come, you know, other artists from our region aren't getting the same sort of treatment. And so I put yeah. that on myself to try to do what I can and contribute to that space of, of providing, of writing long form about artists that, you know, I really like a lot and doing those same sort of profiles. Foxtails. My name is Ivo and I have a very interesting guest with you today. His name is Danny Hajar and he is a music journalist, curator and a DJ and also the creator of Saluni Elas, a newsletter which focuses on the music, the culture and social and political stories from the Middle Eastern and North African region and the diaspora community. Danny has previously worked at Spotify at the data curation team and also has published work in the Washington Post, Esquire and the New Arab. The list is actually quite, quite long. I highly recommend reading his work. I've been admiring Danny's dedication for a while. He's been very consistent with the newsletter and has been doing this every single week since 2020. And I would say the newsletter is my go-to place when it comes to artists from the Arab region and just when I want to make sure I'm not missing out on anyone from, from that community. I'm really glad he accepted my invite as a guest as I get to pick up um, his brain on a few topics including the state and the evolution of the Arab music and its place in the, the global music industry. But we also cover a lot of other topics, so I hope our conversation, which is under an hour, is, uh, is interesting to you. By the time of the recording, unfortunately, we were not aware of the devastating tragedy that happened in Turkey and Syria last week. So I would like to express my condolences to all the families of the people who have lost their lives and to everybody who is affected. I've added a list of resources and organizations where you can donate to, these are active organizations in the region um, who help uh, recovering and helping survivors. The list is actually taken from Danny's latest newsletter publication. And with that, I'll leave you to my conversation with Danny Hajar, and I hope you enjoyed. Welcome, Danny. I'm very, very happy to meet you online and uh, have you as a guest on our podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Me too, man. Uh, usually I try to kind of start with just a random question, one random non-music related fact about you that most people don't know, even those who are like in your surroundings. Wow. Uh, one fact that people don't know about me and I wish I had a good answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure that there isn't something that people don't know about me. I'm, I tend to be a fairly open book, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I am who I am and I, you're going to get all parts of me. So there's nothing that I can think of that 
I guess, really comes out. Well, one thing that people, not a lot of people know is that I, I played piano for a good portion of my life and that's not something that I, I really talked about publicly, but yeah, I used to play piano. Uh, I wasn't the best at it, but I did uh, with my piano teacher. We, <laughs> we not composed, I think that's too strong of a word, but we created a, an easier, like I guess middle school version of how to play the Godfather theme song so I could play it for a performance because I was obsessed at the time with the film and I wanted to play the theme song to it and so that is my claim to fame is that I that is probably the only song I can remember by heart is playing that on the piano. So music has been in your life for a very very long time. Very long time I mean I grew up with a lot of music in my house my my parents were very musical people you know my mom would always have ABBA and the Bee Gees and uh, a lot of disco kind of playing in the house, among other things, uh, Broadway musicals, for example. My dad was very much into Spanish music, like he loved flamenco, he loved the Gypsy Kings and Julio Iglesias and all them. And uh, I'm Lebanese, and so they would also play a lot of Arabic music and a lot of things like that. So music was always just around. It was an integral part of uh, my life growing up, and it still is. So, Do you see yourself making music one day? Like professionally let's say you know i i went through a phase in high school where i wanted to be a producer and this was at the time high school for me was uh the mid the mid 2000s so this was an era when hip-hop producers became a larger than life persona so mm -hmm. you had scott storch you had dr dre you had um a lot of other people obviously and, and timbaland and i was like oh well now i know who the producers are i want to do that like i want to make beats And then I quickly realized I can't do it and that's okay. And I know where my strengths lie and that's not going to be one of them. So um, I don't think I see myself making music. I'm much more of just a, a listener, I think, of, of music than anything else. This reminds me of my journey with drums. I've played for a long time, but I don't think it's ever going to be professional. <laughs> oh my God. How long did you play the drums for? Of, I think by now already 13 years, but I'm stuck wow. at this level that I don't, I don't know. I, I, as you said, I know my strengths and it's, it's fun doing it, but it's never going to be professional. Right? So I, I've known of you for actually some time. I follow news, uh, your newsletter, which we're going to be speaking about uh, in a bit. But for those who, let's say, stumble upon your name for the first time, how would you, because you do a lot of different things. You're a journalist, you're a curator, a DJ. Uh, you work with data a lot, which is one of the big topics I want to discuss today. How, what is the quick introduction of Danny Hajar? I'm a curator of the vibes, baby. That's what <laughs> I am. Uh, I, <laughs> I look, I'm just someone who, who's a big fan of music, particularly music coming from the Middle East and North Africa and the mm -hmm. diaspora communities. And so the big thing about me is what can I do to share that music, to promote those artists, to help them get a, you know, a larger platform to break through And how can we make Arabic music in particular um, a more a global sort of accept, not accepted, what's the word I'm looking for? How can we make Arabic music, yeah, give it more global recognition in the way that, you know, K-pop has gotten, the way that Latin music has gotten in particular in the last 15 years, mm -hmm. um, things like that. We're definitely touching a few topics I want to I wanna discuss in our next, uh, let's say, 45 minutes. I think that's how much we have. But uh, your newsletter, I'm going to try to pronounce it Saluni. Yeah. Am I close? Okay. So I've been subscribed to, to your newsletter. I try to figure out when 
for some i followed it and then i subscribed and i, I found a few artists actually i did get one which i really loved uh rita loja sorry i'm super bad with the pronunciation she sings in arabic english french so that's how i first stumbled your name and then i realized you're also like a journalist and you, you are working for spotify working with data my first question is someone who is also doing content is how do you say you stay very very consistent with your with your newsletter it's been going out so I'm not going to look at my notes. I'm looking away from the camera. I think it's been going live uh, out every week since August 2020. More yeah, or less. That's right. How are you doing that's this? Right. How are you like <laughs> How are you doing this? I don't know. Uh, a lot of coffee. <laughs> a lot of, um by the way, speaking of uh Rita Lujdia, just so you know and so folks know, I, I just interviewed her. Uh, a couple of days ago for a story i'm writing a big feature on her and, and everything so i'll uh hopefully by the time this is out this art this story will be out and i can share that with you and everything and, and folks can take a look at it but yeah um honestly this newsletter it, it's it's a passion project that's what keeps me going i mean i'm someone that's always looking for what's going on in the music scene in general anyway like that's just something i'm doing naturally and so for me you know, especially growing up in a diaspora community where, you know, at first it may feel overwhelming to someone to kind of go into a Spotify or a Tidal or Apple Music, whatever your streaming platform is. It may feel overwhelming for someone to go in and say, oh my gosh, where do I even start with what's going on in the Middle East and North Africa? Where do I even begin? And for a lot of us in the diaspora community, we tend to listen to very nostalgic sort of Arab pop music, things that either we grew up on with our parents or things that our parents grew up on. And that's sort of what gets played at family functions and events and things like that. So we tend to know those songs. But, you know, when the pandemic kind of hit, uh, we obviously had a lot more time at home, a lot of us, right? And so for me, I just started going down a rabbit hole of these different things. And I was like, oh my God, this artist is basically doing what Drake does, but in Arabic. Or this artist is mixing arabic and english and french and spanish like this all in one song it's fascinating for me that was new and so mm -hmm. the newsletter was intended to be something where you know whether you live in the diaspora or you live you know in the region i wanted to provide an easy way for people to find those artists and find those songs and say you know check out these different scenes check out these different um these different artists and check out what they're all doing and so that that's what keeps me going is being able to help be kind of a a person who wants to shed light on what others are doing because they all deserve so much attention. They deserve all the recognition for just their creativity, their artistry. And the role that I want to play is how can I help make sure that they're getting their flowers? How can I help make sure that they are out here getting that attention that they deserve? I, for one, am very, very grateful for newsletter because for me, I have to... I think I'm one of those people who I had a hard time even knowing where to start. And, you know, like everybody has their own kind of scenes and locations they're paying attention. So I, especially because it's on Substack and you can scroll back whenever I have time, I can, I, I quite enjoy the fact that I can scroll back and see if I have time what you featured. Um, you also cover social and political topics. You already mentioned your Lebanese is the, um, do you have like, are you looking for specific balance in terms of content or it's whatever it's on your mind, on your heart that week? How do you select the things to share? I think it's a little bit of both. And I know that's a little bit of a cop-out answer, <laughs> but it's definitely, I do want to balance. You know, I'm Lebanese, I'm, I live in the United States. 
a lot of the coverage, generally speaking, in media about our region tends to be incredibly political and tends to be skewed towards mm -hmm. certain biases, right? In my opinion, if you want political coverage on the region, you can find it. It's it's not difficult. You, for me, what I try to do is select stories that humanize our communities or mm -hmm. maybe tell a different story that isn't always being told more, more broadly. And so, um, you know, I have a story in the newsletter coming out. Uh, well, it's not my story, but there's a story that I'm going to link to in the newsletter this week, for example, that uh, a great reporter, Gareth Brown, he wrote about this vinyl, um, vinyl record preserver or archiver in the West Bank mm -hmm. and what that means for music and for Palestinian heritage and identity. And those are the stories that I tend to be gravitated toward, things like that. Or, you know, there's this other podcast called Kerning Cultures, and they did this whole thing on Tunisian olive oil. Like, I love those kinds of things. Like, where can we talk about those stories? And so I'm trying to aggregate those stories. Now, that being said, there are obviously a lot of things that happen in our region where there should be some attention. So for example, you know, raids happening in Palestine, right? Like those are things that I'm going to highlight and try to bring more attention and awareness to corruption in the Lebanese government. I'm going to try to do those things. If there's an election in Tunisia, I'll try to, if there's a big, big moment, I'm going to try to at least include one, one story or so about what's going on. But generally speaking, I tend to want to do more of the humanistic side of things and try to bring attention to, to our communities uh, that way. Do you, do you see the newsletter evolving into something bigger in, in a sense that actual community and place for people to discuss, not just the music, obviously, and the culture and the social events happening in the regions? Because you've been, you've been running it for already two years, more or less, or even actually more. So I imagine you were thinking, what is next and how would this evolve and how it's going to be shaped? Yeah, um, I've definitely had multiple thoughts about where to take this newsletter next. And, you know, like you said, it's been two, two plus years now, I think two and a half years now, which is wild. Um, but I've always dreamt of the newsletter becoming its own media platform in some way for people to write about our music in a way that's a little bit more thoughtful. So, mm -hmm. you know, things like album reviews, track reviews, long form artist profiles, the way that you would see in uh, Rolling Stone magazine, for example, things of that nature, things that are taking a harder look at the industry too, like what's going on with the racism in our music and mm -hmm. the Arabic music industry, things like that. And of course, for the same sort of human interest piece stories, um, I would love to see more of that. There are other days where I'm like, you know what, I just want to be done with this newsletter and end it. <laughs> And it's fine. It, it had its run. I'm tired. Like it, it takes a long time to put together each week. And I can't lie to you that that does creep in every so often. So right now I'm at this kind of in-between point of thinking about what to do with it and thinking about where to take it next. But yeah, I mean, it, in, a, in a dream scenario, that would be amazing to make it its own sort of uh, website. Well, what I also appreciate, and I'm not, I think because one of your guests, that's how I found the newsletter, you have different guests mostly music journalists, if I'm not mistaken, or artists. How do you select them? Is it like personal connection or someone you are um, fascinated with or how did, because it's a lot of people who are coming on as guests on, your, on the newsletter. Yeah, I mean, I've had the good fortune of having journalists, academics, artists, chefs, uh, 
political people, advocates, just really runs the gamut of the time types of careers that people have that that come through um, in the newsletter. And there are some people that I know personally that I've had the good fortune of meeting and getting to know. And but all of them are people that I admire. And most of the time, it is just me cold cold DMing them on mm-hmm. Twitter or on Instagram being like, listen, I have this newsletter. Like if you're interested, it would be a huge honor. And it is, you know, every, it is a huge honor for any guest to come through and, and want to do it. Cause I know that that sort of thing takes time. Um, but really it's anybody that's either in the Middle East or North Africa or in our diaspora, that's doing something cool. That's doing mm-hmm. something so interesting, but just asking them about their music and trying to connect with them through their music, which, I, which, I personally love, I'd rather know about that, about a person than, you know, oh, what do you do for a living? And what, that's fine. I can read about what you do for a living. I mm-hmm. want to know what song makes you cry. I want to know what song you sing when you go to karaoke, which by the way, a lot of Mariah Carey answers <laughs> in the newsletter so far. That has been the common thread, which I think is great. But things like that, like it's so fascinating, you know, when you get someone that, you know, feels like a fairly big deal to me, because I admire them. And then I can look and say, oh my gosh, you know, you and I have the same, you and I have the same hype song. That's so cool. You know, like that's fascinating that you are also listening to the same things that I'm listening to. And that resonates with you in different ways. And it's also fascinating when I get guests on there that listen to totally different things, but the stories behind each song that they share, Mm -hmm. that's what makes it cool to me is how they connect with the music and how and why they chose certain things. That's what, to me, I always tell people there's no such thing as cool music. What makes music cool is how you connect with it. That's what's cool. You know, for me, Taylor Swift doesn't necessarily resonate with me. I respect her as an artist, but she doesn't resonate with me, but she does with so many other people. And there are so many reasons why other people resonate with her music. And that's, that connection is the coolest thing to me. That connection is just so dope. So yeah, it's been a lot of different people, which I really, really love. For me, I always review music I like. Okay, I get it. Some people review music they don't like. But for me, it's like I personally vibe with this thing. I'm going to write about it. And kind of life is too short to spend your time to write about music that doesn't resonate with you, which doesn't, as you say, doesn't make it bad or not cool music. It's just it's not your not your thing, I guess. And at least for, for us, and I see for you, try to stay on the positive kind of wave, if I can use that word. Yeah, I would to- I totally agree with that. I mean, that's the same approach I take with my writing. If I'm going to write about an artist or a song, it's going to be about someone that I feel passionately about and that resonates with me. I don't want to put my energy, personally, I don't want to put my energy into writing a negative thing or writing poorly about an artist because... You know, I may not like an artist's music, but I know how much time and effort and energy they put into creating something. I know what that process looks like. Mm-hmm. I know how hard that is. And then I know how vulnerable that artist can feel putting that and sharing that into the world. I'm never going to knock someone's process yeah. and knock their creativity if they feel like they put a lot of heart into this that's just personally me. And there are other people that will do that. And that's fine. If that's what they choose to do, that's cool. But for me personally, I just, I want to uplift the people that I think, you know, are, are doing some really interesting things musically. Where does your love for writing stems from? Actually, I, I'm not sure. What is your background? Like, uh, what is your path in life? <laughs> all, <laughs> all over the place. Man, over let the me place. tell you. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, I went to, I originally went to college and got my bachelor's in international affairs and I got mm -hmm. my master's degree in global communication. I had thought for the longest time that I was going to have a career in policy and politics and that kind of, uh, you know, diplomacy, that kind of realm. And then I got very fascinated by uh, language and diplomacy and the sorts of words that people, that governments, advocate leaders choose to use and choose not to use and how things get framed. I was very interested in that. And then that sort of shifted after the 2016 U.S. presidential election. That then shifted. I think it's still a little bit more advocacy and trying to really fight for people. I worked for, you know, I did a lot of work in um, immigrants justice mm -hmm. uh, and immigrants rights work in the in the United States. And after like on a the legislation bit, side or? Uh, on the advocacy side, not necessarily okay. legislation. So, you know, for example, was working really closely with one organization called the Tahare Justice Center. Um, they provide uh, legal counsel and legal services for survivors of gender-based violence seeking asylum in the United States. Like, it's a very, very heavy thing, but incredibly rewarding when it when the outcome, you know, is is in your favor. After doing that for a while, though, you know, that kind of work can really take an emotional toll on you. It can take a, it can really burn you out. It's tough to always feel like there's just n this sort of churn and nothing seems to be moving and everything is slow and that sort of thing. And it's hard hearing these stories all the time and having to advocate and not seeing any change. So I wanted to take a, um, I wanted to lean in more on, on the music side of things, which is when I started freelance writing a little bit more, which is when I started the newsletter, you know, got a job at, at Spotify up until recently, which was really cool. So I'm try I was trying to lean a little bit more into that. And so that, that is why I do the writing and why I do the newsletter. Writing for me has always been something that I just like doing anyway. I was always really good at that. I would always, uh, you know, I love to write essays, like for me in college and high school and stuff. Like I loved when it was like, all right, write me a 5,000 word essay. I'm like, done, love it. Don't give me a test. That's I'd much rather write something and, and, and do the research and do it that way. Um, and so I, I try to keep up with it as much as I can. Awesome. I like, obviously I've read your stuff and, uh, first of all, it's a lot, it's long and lengthy, which I appreciate. Um, I think you touched upon on the, the content length and it's an ongoing topic about the the fact that just people prefer to consume content right now and not so substantially but i think that niche kind of well, right now niche like lengthy and in-depth writing is coming back just because there is a demand for it i recently interviewed um, another uh, newsletter curator stefan kunze who is who has his own um newsletter about ambient music and his writing is also quite lengthy he's, he has a journalistic background and i know people actually go back to looking for this kind of meaningful content so uh like i just want to say i appreciate <laughs> what you're doing no i appreciate that and i, I like your, your style as well i was just curious if you have like a professional training in that or it's just something that you love um no professional training really um I, I mean, I took a few journalism courses in college and as part of my master's program, but no, I mean, there was no formal training. I never worked for a news outlet. I never um, pursued a career as a journalist or anything like that. I just, you just yeah, it just kind of happened. I just had the opportunity one day to, to write and uh, I got to do something really lengthy on music and something in, in that realm. It was uh, for New Lines magazine. 
which is a really dope outlet. Um, they uh, approached me with the idea of writing about music and I could choose any topic. And so I wrote about hip hop in North Africa and kind of what's been going on in the scene there. And it was a like a 2000 word story or something like that it was very long, but I loved it. I loved writing it. I loved I love long form feature stories. I'd rather get to have a holistic point of view about a certain topic or a certain artist or profile, whatever it is, and really dive deep into who they are and what and what exactly that is and what's driving mm-hmm. all these things. So I try to do that for um, other Arab artists uh, because, you know, I get, I can't lie to you. Like when, when Bad Bunny and all these dudes, like get these big profiles, like I love those profiles. I love reading about them, but then I'm like, dang, how come, you know, other artists from our region aren't getting the same sort of treatment. And so I put yeah. that on myself to try to do what I can and contribute to that space of, of providing of writing long form about artists that, you know, I really like a lot and doing those same sort of profiles. As time goes by and obviously your influence grows, whether, I don't know how you self-assess yourself as an influencer, but in my external view, obviously as someone who follows you, like, is it more pressuring doing what you're doing or it's always just like, I love what, what I'm doing and I do it like, I'm not sure if like exp- I explain myself correctly, but as as with fame, so to say, not fame, but like the growth of your followership, do you feel more pressure to do this the right way? Do you get approached more and people asking you, please cover me and stuff like that? Like how is the? Yeah, I I never think of myself as an influencer or a famous person or whatever. I I can't, and I don't want to be that person. I just want to be someone that's you know I'm here and I'm a fan. I'm not a music expert. I didn't go to school for music theory or composition or anything because I'm literally just a fan who likes to listen to a lot of songs and anybody could be doing what I'm doing. And I will say too, I am not the only person doing this work. There are a ton of other writers, content creators, uh, podcast hosts, whatever it may be, that are also doing the same work that I'm doing. So I also want to emphasize that I'm part of that ecosystem. I'm not the sole person and I want to make sure that they also get their credit because uh, they're also doing a lot of work and some of them, you know, before before me. And so I, I, it's me just contributing and adding to what they're doing. Um, you know, I think the coolest part about this is that I've gotten more artists reaching out and saying, you know, what you're doing is so helpful for us. What you're doing is super valuable we know that what you're doing is genuine and authentic and that you actually love our music and you're not just doing it to, for, you know, for clout, you're not clout chasing or anything like that. And I've gotten the chance to connect with artists that I never thought I'd connect with, that I was just a fan of their music before I even got started with this. A great example of that is Nadina Ruby. Um, she is a Sudanese singer. Um, she had songs that I loved listening to. I thought her vibe was really cool. And by chance, by chance, we connected over Twitter. Like I wrote a story about her and then I met her in person and it was, and we text all the time. We talk all the time and she's a super dope human being. Um, I never thought in a million years that I'd be able to connect with these artists that way or connect with these content creators that way. And that's been the coolest thing is just being in community with them and seeing how I can be helpful. And so that's one thing I always ask artists is what can I do to be supportive? How can I be helpful? You know, I have this platform, use me, 
use me in a way that you feel would be uh, most supportive to your career and most beneficial to your, to your, uh, you know, to your success. And that's really what I'm trying to do. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of. Yeah, 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 it does. And I, I didn't mean to say that you're influencer, so to say, but it's just like, you know, as time goes and obviously people, more and more people start to follow what you're doing. Sometimes, I don't know, I guess people can feel the pressure of, okay, I'm, I've reached some level and I need to be responsible or careful, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it does answer uh, my question, which by the way, because you mentioned that a lot of other people are doing this, if there is someone who wants to get a bit more into discovering Arab music and music from North Africa, anyone else that should be on our list, I'll be super happy to also link them in the podcast description, but if someone on top oh, of your head. Many, many, many people. I would definitely check out North Africa and Blad Sham on Instagram. Like they're two awesome, awesome uh, people and they do a lot for highlighting, um, you know, uh, music out of the region. Uh, there's another Instagram profile. Frenchie says, relax, who I just really love. Uh, I would definitely check them out. DJ Bonita, she's really dope. Nuria is also really dope. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are just mm -hmm. big Haas is another one. Narsi, who is himself an artist. He's Iraqi. Um, and he's like one of the OGs. Omar Fendom. Thanks, Joey. Like there's, I could just go on and on about who these people are and like what's going on here. Um, <laughs> But so many people are doing really, really, really cool things. Um, and so I just want to shout them all out and and say that if it weren't for them, this my work would not exist. Honestly, they are mm -hmm. the blueprint of like, you can do this and you can have fun doing this. Uh, Abdulism is vintage Arab. Uh, oh, my God, there's too many. There's too many people. <laughs> Earlier in a... Pretty much in the beginning of the conversation, we were speaking about the, the rise of K-pop and like Latinx artists. And you mentioned, if I can recall correct, correctly, that sometimes artists from the Arab region are overlooked. So first of all, I think this goes without saying the, the impact on the, of Arabic music on world music, especially in the, in the last 10 years with the rise of trap music. There is a lot of samples used from the region as well. Do you think, well, what do you think can be done more and by who would that be? Is it does it is it only responsibility of the big media or on the streaming platforms or listeners and fans and curators as a whole? What can be there more to to basically get the same exposure, especially if we're giving because you, you gave K-pop as a as an example? Yeah, I think it's on everybody. I think all of us have a role to play when it comes to giving Arabic music a little bit more attention. Now, the last year and a half in particular, we've made some pretty incredible gains. You know, for example, uh, you had Nancy Ajram, who is one of the biggest Arab pop icons of a generation, did a collaboration with Marshmello. And that was that song was top 10 on iTunes in the US which is the first time an Arabic song has ever been top 10 anything on the iTunes. So that was a, that's a fairly big milestone. You had the world cup in Qatar, which, you know, you had their song with Miriam Ferris, Nicki Minaj and Maluma. And you had people, you know, singing along and everything and getting exposed to that song. That, that song wasn't for me, but it resonated with other people. And that's, that's cool. 
Um, you have Eliana, who is a Palestinian Chilean artist. She's doing incredible, incredible music. Um, and she is going to be the first performer to sing in Arabic at Coachella. So that the, things like that, along with other pop culture things like Rami, for example, the TV series, Mo, the TV series, Moon Knight uh, on Disney Plus, which exposed a lot mm -hmm. of people to a lot of uh, Egyptian music. These moments are not happening uh, in isolation. This is all you have to put everything in context together. So it's a fairly big moment right now for Arabic music. On top of that, you've got artists who are killing it on TikTok. Bayou is one of them who's doing this really cool English, Arabic sort of, uh, you know, vibe. Lana Lubani, who is Palestinian, she's also doing sort of similar things. You've got St. Levant that a lot of people really like who uh, blew up for his song in English, Arabic and French, like he was rapping in all three. So all of these things are happening. And, you know, it's incumbent on us as people who are exposed, who are trying to write about this music or trying to highlight this music. It's incumbent on record labels, it's incumbent on DSPs, on streaming platforms to find mm -hmm. ways to say, hey, you know what, if you like Bad Bunny, who was the most streamed artist globally on Spotify, if you like Bad Bunny, man, you're going to love Wigs this Egyptian artist and uh, and who's killing it, who's basically doing the same sort of stuff, but in Arabic. You're going to like, those are the sorts of things that I want to see, uh, you know, these organ these companies and these platforms and labels all start to do is say, you know, if a listener is really into this, they might like a song in a different language that they don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't speak Spanish. I love Latin music. I love just what's going on in the different scenes. Um, I don't speak Korean, but man, if Blackpink comes on, I'm there. Like that kind of thing, you know, mm. like you, I love that. And that's the beauty of music is you don't have to necessarily know exactly what's being said, but it still elicits some kind of an emotion and some kind of feeling that you can't really put to words. And that's the, that's what's uh, really fascinating. So why not Arabic music? Mm. I think um, I don't have the exact like activities, but I, uh, I've, I know Spotify are putting or seem like are putting extra effort into showcasing music from the region, whether that's through the, I think they did expand the Fresh Finds uh, countries. Yeah, I there's a there's... Fresh Finds Arabia now, which is huge for, for our... Arabia, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and also, sorry, and then, uh, I also knew that there was a strong community of Arab people in Spotify who are actively pushing for that wave to happen. Yeah, what other stuff do you think DSP should be doing? Yeah. Because I, I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, sorry Nothing. to interrupt, it's not that the pressure is on them, but they do have the power to break out artists. Yeah, I mean... And it, it's kind of their responsibility to, to make sure music from all around the world, including that area, gets exposed to... Absolutely. Um, and I want to shout out, you know, the Arab team at Spotify. They're doing incredible work. I really want to make sure that they get their flowers too. And I want to shout out Sohail Nafar, who basically built all that, the Arab stuff, the Arab hub at Spotify from the ground up. He put in a lot of work doing that. He's now over at Empire Records, basically doing the same sort of thing um, for Arab artists there. But he, I mean, he did a lot. He's an OG. Like he himself, you know, is an artist. He was in the first Palestinian hip hop group ever. So And his brother is still rapping. His brother's killing it. Tamar Nafar, shout out to him. But, uh, you know, like, 
I think we as people have to get out of our own way in, t- in terms of, you know, I'm only going to listen to music that I like, or I'm only going to listen to music that I, mm-hmm. whose language I can speak and say, you know what? I, you know, someone the other day sent me uh, a song he's working on and it's grunge in Arabic. I've never heard. Okay. Can you send me that after? Cause I do love grunge. Super cool. His name is Nabil. He, He's doing this thing where he's trying to, he's, he came in and said, you know what? I'm working on grunge music. I love grunge music. I've never really heard it in Arabic and I want to be able to do it. And I was like, cool. I'm not the biggest like grunge fan personally. Like I don't really, you know, but I understand mm-hmm. its context. I understand its historical significance too. And I heard it and I was like, this is the coolest effing thing I have ever, I have heard recently. Like this is the coolest thing. Just to hear that grunge sound and then to hear Arabic lyrics kind of waving over. It's like if Pearl Jam spoke Arabic, like that was the vibe that Mm -hmm. I was getting. And you got to love that. And so why not put, you know, songs like that or whatever, not just on the Fresh Finds Arabia stuff, but why not put it on Mm -hmm. just Fresh Finds Indie? Put it on the more general playlist, you know, something like New Music Friday that comes out on Spotify. You know, why not put some Arabic songs in there? Why not put some Korean songs? Why not put some some stuff like that? You know, New Music Friday right now is um, very much geared towards sort of Western artists. And Spotify does have yeah. other New Music Friday playlists that are more tailored to each region. But, you know, why not think about what that means to have a song or two um, on the general one that everybody follows, that everyone knows, that everyone checks? Uh, that kind of thing, you know. That, I think that that would be a, a very interesting thing. Um, and that, and I'm, you know, I don't mean to pick on Spotify. I would say that's the same for Title and Apple Music and Amazon Music and all these other places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's incumbent on us to say, you know, we're doing this with other, you know, we're doing. We should be. We should be doing this with all global music and like truly make this a global experience. I, I believe, especially when you're exposed to a foreign language, even that, even if you don't speak it. So for disclaimer, I do speak Spanish, so I vibe with Spanish music, but I, I speak zero Korean, zero French. And especially in the last recent, the last years, you get exposed to these kind of artists who are singing in this language. And even though I don't understand anything, I I enjoy it. And I think in general, people, if they're, as you said, if you put on fresh um New Music Friday, some Arabic music, and even if people don't speak it, eventually you're going to start vibing with it because it's it's different. 100%. I mean, Lana Lubani put out her song, The Snake, uh, this was, I think last year, a couple of years ago now, and it was huge on TikTok. And I don't mean just among Arab users on TikTok. I'm talking it blew up generally. And you had people making content with her singing in both English and Arabic together. So it's there, like those things can happen. Um, and Najjar, who is another artist, um, also blew up on TikTok. His song was everywhere, Hadala Habbik, and it helped land him a record deal uh, with Universal Music. So it's it can happen. We've seen that model happen. It's clear that, that people are, I think, can be interested when exposed to our music. Um, and so I'd love to see that with Arabic music. I mean, I'd love to see that with any, any art, any um, cultural music anyway, too. Um, you know, I'm a piano. It's really having its global moment right now. Right. Uh, 
Yes, we actually just wrote an article about it on, on Stereofox like a month Oh, nice. Ago. Okay. So it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is. Yeah, blowing. like it's blowing up, but it's always been there. It's always. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that happened yesterday right. or anything. It, it's actually. On it's the contrary. just now you have people that were are more exposed to it and people are saying, oh my God, this has been there this whole time. Um, and that's the same with Arabic music. You, you know, we Arabic music has been thriving for generations, like for a, yeah. a long time. Um, it's only now that people are starting to pay a little bit more attention and saying, oh my God, this has been here. Like, I want to listen to more of this, that kind of thing. But we've been here. Like people have been putting in this work for a long time. So I, again, I think it's just, I think it's just the exposure that uh, needs to increase. Because I'm v uh, wary of our time. <laughs> I wanted to also ask you about data. Uh, so first of all, where do you draw the balance between the data point that tells you one thing and you, the human who feels something that may or may not match with what you're seeing on the screen. Like, is there a thin line, especially professionally? I will say that I, I do think that a lot of, I do think that streaming platforms are aware and conscious enough to not solely rely on algorithms and to have human beings in there as sort of a vibe check for these for these things there's an awesome team at spotify the data curation team that does this they are the human vibe checks for personalized playlists and i think those are incredibly important because you can have an algorithm spit out something and have something and it could be highly accurate it could be whatever but you need a human being in there to say okay does this vibe correctly are you getting the right artists are you getting the right songs are you getting the right decade is there enough, uh, is the algorithm pulling enough um, gender representation? Uh, you know, things like that. You know, you never want an algorithm to say, okay, you like, you know, bachata, here are all Bad Bunny songs. You want an algorithm to say, you like bachata, mm -hmm. here are different bachata songs, here are different things like that. So I think those, those human beings and those roles are highly important and highly valued because they have a knowledge of music and culture and whatever that uh you know you can only gain if you are just a nerd <laughs> so you mm -hmm. need the you need music <laughs> nerds in those roles did, did you have like any technical training specific like i don't know like language learning like sql or python or anything or like what, do you have any background or just nothing i i'm nothing and uh okay. i'm not an engineer i know nothing i'm i'm terrible at math but I know music. So, you know, someone would tell me an algorithm and say, oh, on the back end with, Py with Python and all this and that and whatever. And I'm like, that's fine. Just tell me where to input uh, this algorithm. Tell me what, I, how much I need to listen to and, and what feedback would be helpful. And that is, uh, that collaboration is so key. And so, yeah, you don't need technical training to to kind of be the human vibe check. You just need to you need to, to know music, music and love yeah. music. Yeah. If if you can give one advice to artists on Spotify, like what is what what do you consider important? Is it the bio, the image, besides the music that is like, of course, because ah. <laughs> I guess make good music, kind of obvious, but I don't know something that you think is important for an artist these days on a streaming platform? That's a really good question. I've never kind of thought about what, what that would be. Um, 
I guess this is for any streaming platform. I don't want to say this is just for, for Spotify or anything, but yeah, yeah, yeah. for any streaming platform, you just have to keep grinding and keep promoting yourself and keep doing what you love and know that it'll all work out eventually in some way, shape or form. And that's general life advice, really. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think there are people that are, that are doing, that are working tirelessly to try to capture as much music as possible and to try to help. And I think people of, you know, I think there are people too who are trying to push sort of global music to the forefront. And so for any artist, I would just say, you know, know that that work is being done and know that the people at these platforms are really trying hard and they're doing a hell of a job with what they're with what they've got. So for them, it's just to keep grinding and perform and all this and promote yourself and do all the things. It's a game and it's a long game and sometimes it's a stressful game and it's not fun and all that. I get that you have to really love what you do if you want to be an artist because you're shot at that as one in a million truly. So um, mm -hmm. just keep at it. Just keep at it as much as you can. Man, what a nice way to kind of phase <laughs> out the conversation really on a positive note. One, my last question, which it's not usually my last one, but lately I always ask it because it's just, I'm curious what people are going to answer. You have six months and you can learn one thing. What is that? Wow. For six months? Ah, what would I learn? <laughs> <Yeah>. Python. <laughs> no responsibilities whatsoever. I, Time I would is learn yours. Python and, and yeah. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> honestly, for six months, I would learn Spanish. I mean, like, you know, I'm married to someone who's Latina. I'd love to be able to share that uh, language with her as well. I'd love to be able to fully understand the nuances and context of the music that I listen to, which is primarily a lot of Latin music. Because mm -hmm. I listen to it, I don't really know what they're saying. I pick up on like a few words here and there, but I don't understand everything. And I want to be able to understand like the entendres and the the wordplay and uh, all these different things. Um, although I will say my wife does joke that it's probably best that I don't know what they're saying because some of the lyrics are nasty. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I would I would learn Spanish. That's gonna look, that's what I would do in six months. Awesome. Thank you, Danny. It was super nice talking. Likewise, to you. man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was fun.